All right, well, good morning, y'all. Uh, go ahead and open your Bibles, please, to the Gospel of John. Uh, we're continuing our study of the Gospel of John. And we're picking it up in uh, verse 13 of chapter 9. And while you find that, I'll remind you that Jesus has um, come upon a man. Um, he, he's in Jerusalem. Um, the religious leadership would like to stone Jesus. He slips out. Um, and after he slips out shortly thereafter, probably within just uh, days, he passes by and he sees a, a man who is blind from birth and he decides to heal that man. And he does. Um, he makes a little, he spits on the ground, makes a little bit of mud, puts it on the guy's eyes. That's kind of weird. But he tells the guy to wash in the pool of Siloam and the guy goes down there, washes his eyes in obedience. His faith takes an action and um, he regains his sight. And now we pick up the narrative in uh, verse 13 of chapter nine. This is God's word. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now, it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who's a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he is a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees, we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age. He will speak for himself. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, his parents said, he is of age. Ask him. Let's pray one more time. Father, may the truth be spoken and received here today in Jesus' name, amen. Well, um, I do a lot of cooking, and uh, one of the most uh, wonderful things in the entire kitchen is an egg, because you can do so many different things with an egg. In fact, uh, a lot of restaurants, if you went and said, I'm a chef and I would like to uh, uh, work here, they'll probably tell you to do one of two things. They'll either say, go back there and poach an egg, or they'll say, go back there and roast a chicken. If you can do those two things, you're probably going to be good at pretty much everything else in the kitchen. So... Uh, you know, back in the day, you know, you, you used to remember when you used to just put raw eggs in the ice cream and uh, crank it up and nobody thought a thing about it. And Rocky was drinking raw eggs and Caesar salads had raw eggs. Well, nobody, they don't like that anymore and restaurants don't want to get in trouble. And so um, if you're going to do that kind of thing, uh, ice cream or uh, Caesar salad or something, you have to pasteurize the eggs. And so um, you can either make a double boiler uh, or you can do what I do, which is I, it's, I, you have kind of a better feel for it. I've got this bowl that I love, this metal bowl. You put the eggs in there, you whip them up, and uh, you put them on, you, you touch it on the heat, and you take it off, and you keep it going, and you put it on the heat, and you take it off, and you put it on the heat, and you take it off, but you can't put it on the heat too long, or what do you get? Scrambled eggs. Uh, so if you're going to make a sabayon or something like that, or some kind of custard or something like that, if you're going to pasteurize the eggs, you, get, you can't put too much heat on it too fast. You've got to temper the eggs, or... They become scrambled. How about this? What happens if you've got melted chocolate and you put water in it? Huh? It 
seizes. The chocolate seizes. And uh, when I say it seizes, I mean it goes, it seizes. Um, How about this? Uh, You put a frozen turkey in a deep fryer. (laughs) I don't recommend it unless you would like to die that day. (laughs) Um, My point is simply that there are things that are in uh, inherently deep opposition. Uh, They just cannot stand to be uh, in the same place uh, operating in harmony. Well, um, our giant uh, point here today is this. Jesus automatically makes you polarizing. Automatically. Just by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, just by making the claim to be a a Bible-believing Christian, you are now a polarizing figure yourself. Here's what the Bible says in James 4. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. I would say that that is pretty polarizing. Um, By the way, do you know who wrote that? James, uh, Jesus' brother, his half-brother, also known as James the Just. Jesus' half-brother wrote that in the, the, the book of James. Uh, this is in 2 Corinthians 6.14. Paul writes this, What partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? It's talking about being inside the household of faith in Jesus Christ or outside the household of faith in Jesus Christ. I would say that that's very polarizing, this gospel of the exclusive Christ. So let's explore all that together. Our first point of just two of them today is uh, the word was God. All right, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quote the scriptures, and I'm going to stop, and I'm going to ask you where I am. Uh, so here I am. Here's, I'm, I'm, I'm quoting the scriptures from memory. In the beginning, where am I in the Bible? Genesis 1.1. Genesis 1.1. Um, where else am I? Ah, John chapter 1, verse 1. It would behoove us to flip back there and look at it. John chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Now, in Genesis 1.1, it says, in the beginning, God created. It's saying the same thing here. In the beginning, God created. All things were made through him, and without him, uh, not anything was made that was made. And this time it's saying, hey, Jesus, the Son of God, he was and is God, He was with God, and nothing was made that wasn't made through him. Well, that's a pretty big statement about the Lord Jesus. Um, And per our point here, the word is God. As we move forward, uh, we must remember who this Jesus is. He's not the Jesus Christ superstar Jesus, um, who's kind of a 1970s version of uh, uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Did I say that last week? Uh, I thought I did. Um, it wasn't in my notes, but um, it, that, that's, it, he's not a pop culture uh, savior who gets caught up in a movement and, and so on. Um, rather, he is God. He knows he's God. He's come to this earth with a purpose. He says, I'm carrying out the works of my father. I'm saying the words of my father. Uh, he's carrying out a mission of which he is completely aware. Um, he slips out of the crowd because his time has not yet come because he knows his time has not yet come. When it comes, he says in John 17, Father, the time has come. He knows when it comes. He knows when the cross is is looming. Um, And so we must remember that he is the living word. He is not here by accident. He didn't come by accident, I should say. 
uh, but he is the living word carrying out the message of the Father. Uh, the current buzzing underneath uh, the narrative here is precisely that. It's the question of Jesus' identity, his authority. So the, uh, the Pharisees, the religious leadership are looking at him, and they're trying to size him up and go, whoa, 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 wait, wait, who does this guy think he is? Who is he really? Where's his authority? Keeps calling God Father. That's the strangest thing we've ever heard. No one's ever called God Father before. Um, and uh, so they're trying to size him up. Now, as we discussed last time, Jesus makes mud. And uh, in fact, we've discussed it the last two times. Jesus makes mud and he puts it on the guy's eyes. He tells him to wash in the pool of Siloam. So the guy goes and washes this stuff off his eyes and, um, and, and moves in obedience. Um, well, that's a problem. And you see that it's a specified problem here in verse 14. It says, now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So Jesus makes the mud. Uh, that's a problem because technically uh, on the Sabbath, according to religious uh, rabbinical uh, understanding, uh, that was working. He made mud. That was working. That doesn't sound like working to me, but it, it was working. Now, the problem is this. Um, the Pharisees are given, I should say, the Jewish people are given God's law. And what does God want? He wants us to obey his law. He wants us to obey his will. He wants us to obey the intent of his law. And what uh, the rabbis had done over centuries is add layers and layers and layers upon the law. So there were all kinds of ridiculous laws, ridiculous laws, kind of as a cocoon around this thing, layers like onion layers of law around it. And when you have layers of things on top of the law, it's kind of like, uh, anybody work for a really big company? It's hard to get a thing done, isn't it? I mean, you got to build consensus, but there's and yeah, 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 and and marketing and and the budget and you know, it's hard to be a nimble operation. By the way, this is not in my notes either. Can I tell you this? One of the joys of being at this church um, and being in an elder-led church and being under Dr. Young's leadership is that we are a pretty darn nimble operation. I mean, it's it's not without um, it's not without safeties and. Uh, prayerful minds on things and uh, wisdom applied and, and meetings and ponderings, um, but we're pretty nimble. If we have to accomplish something, we can do it pretty fast. But if you're in a, if you're in a top-heavy bureaucratic thing, you know what I'm saying. It is really hard to accomplish things, and so it is with the law. You put layers and layers and layers and layers upon the law. Here's the law. What are you looking at? The layers. All the little things like don't dance and all those other, like, uh, Christian cliches, don't dance and hold hands and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, and so um, when Jesus made mud, he was technically working and violating the Sabbath in the minds of the Pharisees. The second thing that was a problem was this. Uh, uh, rabbis, rabbinic law, uh, on top of God's law, rabbinic law, um, permitted saving a life on the Sabbath. All right, so if uh, he's in a burning building and I run in there and get him, it's okay, I'm not really working, I'm saving a life. However, if... Richard Loom has a sprained ankle and wants to put uh, some co a cold compress on it. That's working. You're going to have to wait till tomorrow. So lay there and suffer a little bit. Um, if it's not spurting blood, just kind of put a little pressure on there until tomorrow, and then we'll wrap it all up. Same thing. He's got a toothache. Oh, my tooth. We've got to pull the tooth. Um, yeah, we'll just, just suffer till tomorrow because uh, we don't want to work and break the law. We can see that that's pretty ridiculous. It hardly, hardly is in keeping with the, the, the mind of God. Um, here's the other thing too. Apparently saliva bodily fluids weren't all that cool either in rabbinic tradition. So you got a kind of a triple whammy there. They do not like 
that Jesus made mud and put it on the guy's eyes. Now, if you'll notice right away, here you got a guy who was born blind. He's begging at the city gate. That's the only way he can make a living. He's not working at a telemarketing center. Um, he's not uh, writing Braille. Um, he doesn't have some uh, communications job. He's begging at the city gates because that's all he can do. And uh, people see him every single day. All of a sudden, he receives his sight. Everybody's freaking out. The Pharisees get his parents. And uh, you can see their focus. They're not going, wow, good for you. You got your sight back? What an amazing thing. You've got, you got all this new opportunity that you never had. You got your sight back? Well, praise Yahweh. They don't say that. Rather, they're, they're going, now, when, when did this happen? Now, wait, 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 wait. Okay, it's a sight, miracle. Okay, that aside, when did this happen exactly? All they care about is the when. They don't care about the who. They don't care about the, 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 on, the, the person uh, on whom the healing was uh, done. Um, and, you know, it's usually that way when somebody's dripping with a big agenda. They don't see the, they don't see the, the good thing. They, they got this thing that they try to uh, keep propping up. Well, here was a conundrum. If Jesus was just some ordinary dude with delusions of grandeur, okay, so he's a little bit cuckoo and, and he's some guy caught up in a movement. And if he's just that, if he's just a little bit deluded and, and all that, or even evil, um, he was indeed violating the Sabbath, at least as they defined it, okay? The problem is... They got this guy who can see. <laughs> that makes it a conundrum because the guy couldn't see before. It is, uh, there's forensic information. It's verifiable by his parents and probably lots and lots of people who passed him at the city gate for years and knew his family, knew him growing up, probably highly verifiable. And they're going, hey, who could do that but God? And that's why you see this conflict in verse uh, 16 and following. It says, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. Hmm, see, he's violating uh, uh, tradition. Um, and then others say, well, wait a second. If the dude's a sinner, in other words, if the dude's a, a, a person like you and me, then how could he do such a sign? I mean, how, how could it be? Um, by the way, you know, this is our authority. Church tradition is not our authority. Church history is very important. You know, you want to look at history and you want to see mistakes people have made in the past and, and heresies that have been worked through and, and theologies that have been refined, but it always comes back to this book, this book, this book, this book. Um, it, it's, um, it, it's not full of, full of layers. Um, this is our authority. All right, so um, they asked the guy in uh, verse 17, it says, they said to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? You know, he was just a, he didn't even know it was Jesus probably. I mean, some guy put mud on his eyes, said, go wash in the pool of Siloam. Uh, I probably told him, but, um, but, but the point is he didn't, he wasn't looking at Jesus and he's not instantly a theologian, uh, but they're asking this guy, they're putting him on the stand and they go, uh, what, who, what do you say about him? And the guy says, he's a prophet. Well, Yes. Uh, yes, he is a prophet. He is the Word. <laughs> he is the living God. He was with God. He is God. And through him, uh, all things were made that were made. And the significance of Jesus as the Word is that he is the exact representation of the Father. Jesus is divine. Jesus is sinless. Jesus has all the power. 
And the significance of God's word itself is that uh, what God says, he is. And uh, that's a hard concept, I think, sometimes for people to, to, to grasp. What God says, he is. That is unique with God. That's why his word is so, is so powerful. What God says, he is. That sounds strange, but let me put it this way. Uh, Jim Umloff, you can't trust what I say. I mean, some of what you I say, but you, you can't trust everything I say, can you? Uh-uh. Um, you can't trust what any human being says. In fact, you can't trust uh, what you say to yourself, can you? You say one thing and do another. You make a decision and you backtrack on it. You do it all the time. You're disappointed in yourself because you made a decision and then you didn't follow through or you procrastinated or you let somebody down. You can't be trusted. In fact, Bob Wood, uh, you know, 92, isn't he 92? Our beloved Bob Wood, lots of wisdom there. He told me, you know, 10 years ago back when I thought he was old, um, uh, I asked him if there was one thing, uh, one piece of advice and he said, the only thing you can count on another person to do is let you down. That's not Bob being a bummer. That's Bob observing a life after uh, eight decades. The only thing you can count on for another human being to do is to let you down. It's the only thing you can count on. Not so with God. What he says is who he is. If he makes a promise, it will not be broken because he cannot break it. Could God make a rock so big that he can't move it? Of course not. There are plenty of things that God can't do, like lie. He can't lie. He can't sin. He can't let sin go unpunished. He can't, because it would be contrary to his own nature. So he's limited only by his own excellences. All right? So what he says, he is. All right, let's apply all this to our lives. Um, First off, it's a red flag that the religious leadership uh, uh, shows no concern or joy over this guy who was healed. I mean, wouldn't it be a happy, uh, celebratable thing, at least amazing? Um, uh, But that's not where their first observations were at all. They were on technicality, technicality, technicality. Uh, Second, they had been waiting for many centuries for the Christ to appear. Many centuries waiting for the Christ, thinking about the Christ, wondering when the Messiah would come, um, and the Messiah has come, and uh, they don't acknowledge him. By the way, anybody heard about the red heifer uh, in the news uh, in a week or so ago? The red heifer? Uh, there's a, a red heifer was born. Oh, a red heifer. Oh, let's build a third temple, and uh, hopefully the Messiah will come. He came. He's Jesus. You either receive him or you reject him. Uh, the Christ has come. He has fulfilled not only Old Testament prophecy, but all the laws of Yahweh. He's done it. But... It's not the kind of savior they wanted. They wanted a military, political, social figure that comes in and gets rid of Rome and and, uh, reestablishes Israel as this this superior uh, nation and force. Uh, And basically, they wanted what uh, all of the world wants. Uh, what, What all of the world wants is to be okay in the universe and okay with God and okay in eternity just because of a valiant effort and a sincere heart and hopefully a scale with good works on this side that outweighs the bad stuff. If it's, if it's this, 
hopefully everything's going to be all right for all eternity because of what I did and I contributed. Contributed. That's pretty much what they wanted. That's what the world wants too. Um, ladies and gentlemen, that is the opposite of everything the Bible teaches about salvation. Salvation is by God's grace through the vehicle of faith. Salvation is not stockpiling a list of things that you think are pretty morally fantastic. Uh, not impressive to God. That's not how God operates. If you're a sinner uh, and you're not perfect, and uh, hey, nobody's perfect, if that's you, you've got a cosmic problem, friend, an eternal problem, because God cannot compromise his own self. He cannot compromise his justice, his righteousness. He cannot compromise truth. He cannot do it. Uh, that's why the Savior came. That's why this Jesus came. Um, that's why it's an affront. Uh, Jesus saying that you need to believe in me and that no one comes to the Father except by me, he's basically saying that your plan is faulty and I've got the only one that works. That is the gospel according to the Bible, friend. Um, our last point, fellowship infers concord. Um, in other words, we feel unity uh, with people that believe like we do. That's just kind of a natural human thing, isn't it? We feel unity with people that believe like we do. Uh, I'm a musical person, and I can relate to other musical people in a certain way. Um, if you're not a musical person, I can't relate to you in the same way that I relate to a musical person uh, in, in, in that way. Uh, but does that mean I can't be a very close friend of somebody who's not musical? Not at all. I am very close friend with somebody who's not musical. Um, but as a believer in Jesus Christ, friend, I could never be as close to a person who's outside of the household of faith as I am with someone who is inside the household of faith. I could never be um, as close. Which, by the way, that's one reason that we're not to be unequally yoked in marriage. And would you, by the way, please, please, I beg you to advise your children not to just date some cute guy um, or some cute girl. If they're unequally yoked, it is a, there are hellish things uh, about life. I mean, it's a very, very heavy baggage because here's this one flesh union and yet the two are unequally yoked and can't relate um, on things eternal. It's just the hardest recipe. If you want a hard life for you or your family, that's, that's the path. Um, be, be vigilant with your kids on that. Be vigilant. Um, but all to say, here for the Jew, we see um, this threat, all right? They, they, um, they want fellowship with Yahweh, and uh, they want to worship in the temple. And in verse 22, we're told this thing um, that the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be a Christian, he was to be put out of the synagogue, out of fellowship. Well, let's, let's look at this hunk of verses in verse 18 and following. Um, verse 18, the Jews did not believe that he'd been born blind and received his sight. They call his parents. They question them. Is your son? Yes. His parents, uh, verse 20, they say, yes, we know this is our son. He was born blind, of course. Uh, but how he sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opens his eyes. Ask him. He is of age. And, you know, you might read, read that and at first go, oh, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool parenting. You know, he's of age. Ask him. Let him take a little responsibility for himself, and he'll speak up for himself. And uh, what a lovely thought. There's a couple of cool parents, you know, probably go by their first names and everything. Cool parents. All right. But wait, 
Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. <laughs> For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogues. Therefore, his parents said, he's of age, ask him. So what they're really doing is going, you know what? <clears throat> we didn't ask this guy. To, we're glad our son got his sight back. Believe me, we're thrilled about that. But we don't want to be put out of the synagogue. So uh, we're just going to kind of step back and go ask him. If you want to throw him out of the synagogue, go ahead. But we don't want to be thrown out of fellowship uh, with, the, uh, with uh, tradition and Jewish people and the temple and, and uh, thoughts of Yahweh. And uh, so they've got <laughs> kind of this crummy ambition. Now, um, it, it's, it's very likely, oh, yeah, it's very likely that this guy was, the, the, the guy who was born blind was already a Christ leaner torturer. Uh, not really sure that he's a redeemed guy. Um, in verse 38, this thing happens. Look at it, if you would. He says to Jesus, Jesus comes back and comes to his defense. He says to Jesus, Lord, I believe, and he worshiped him. Um, that may be the point of repentance, but whatever is happening, the Holy Spirit is blowing, it seems, in this guy's life. Um, so he's already a, a Christ-leaner, and uh, you know, I don't want to make too big of a deal out of it, but in Psalm, uh, what time is it? In Psalm 27, 10, it says, uh, for my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. Um, I'm not saying that this is a fulfillment or that's a prophecy. I'm saying that 20, Psalm 27 uh, is, is wonderfully, profoundly applicable to every single believer. And um, when the gospel causes divisions, even in the deepest human relationships, God still loves and supports his children. That's what I'm saying. It means that you are dearly loved children. Now, when you come to Jesus Christ as Savior, you are immediately and by nature out of fellowship with the world. As soon as you say, okay, Lord, I surrender my whole life to you and I belong to you and my highest allegiance is you and uh, all of my possessions belong to you, all my time belongs to you, my body belongs to you, my intellect belongs to you. When you come before the Savior and you say, take me all, God, I'm a sinner, make me clean in Jesus Christ, everything has changed for you. You are suddenly immediately, necessarily out of fellowship with the world. It is official. That does not mean that you cannot love people in the world. It does not mean that you cannot serve people in the world. It, but it means, it means you, you can't, it doesn't mean you can't love them, but you're not of them. You're not of the world. Uh, you are to be ministers to the world, always searching for need, always searching for somebody who's lonely, always searching for hurt or grief or an opportunity to share why you're hopeful. Um, when people question deep things in life or question the value of humanity, you are to be with them in this world um, with your radar on. But friends, um, we, we cannot love this world. Um, we, we cannot do it. Um, the world will not befriend us, first of all. Uh, but um, if they would crucify the Savior, what do you think they think of his followers? Quite simply, if you've come to a life in Jesus Christ, your citizenship is in heaven, isn't it? This journey in this life is, is temporary. That's why the word pilgrim is such a good word. We're pilgrims. We're journeymen. We're sojourners. We're hikers. We're passing through this life into the next. 
Uh, but our citizenship is, is in heaven, and this is a temporary land, all right? I want to show you just a few little things here uh, to kind of show the, the giant picture. Flip all the way to the end of your Bible, if you would, to Revelation chapter 6. Revelation chapter 6. By the way, as you find that, um, stop saying Revelations. It's Revelation. That's the name of the book. It's not Revelations. It's Revelation um, chapter 6. Look at verse 9. Um, one sentence in, uh, half a sentence in, I saw the altar of the, uh, excuse me, I saw the, under the altar, the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood and on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were each given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. By the way, have you heard that song, How Long, O Lord, in the lift closet? Uh, I'd forgotten all about that, that this is, How long, O Lord, will the martyrs bleed? It's right from here. How long, O Lord, Till your roles complete. That's right from here. I'm telling you, that is a description of enmity, the world against God, that the martyrs have gone before, and there's still more martyrs to come. And in, in the meantime, between the already and the not yet, they're told, wait a little while longer, rest a little longer, until the number of fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves have been, had been. I mean, that's pretty amazing, isn't it? Uh, that's the juxtaposition of the saint with the world. I mean, that is it played out in its fullest. Um, it is one dominion in opposition to another, God's dominion and the dominion of the evil one. Um, that, that's, that's, the, that's the reality of coming to faith in Jesus Christ and the big split that it puts even between... between um, religious leadership and a blind man and even parents that are going, hey, fellowship is really important. We don't want to be cut out. I mean, it just plays out in small ways and in colossal ways. All right? Epilogue, however. Epilogue. Jesus wins. He wins. He wins in the end. The word who was God, the word who was with God, the word who is the final prophet, the prophet who is the final word. He wins. Look at the last page of your Bible, Revelation 22, verse 16. Do you know this is in here? It's on the last page of the Bible. Verse 16, Revelation 22, verse 16. I, Jesus, This is your Savior talking to you. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. And let the one who is thirsty, come. 
Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Friends, does that not sound like the gospel of John? It's written by the same apostle. John the apostle wrote Revelation and he wrote the gospel of John. Doesn't it sound like this Jesus talking? If anyone's thirsty, come to me. I'm the water of life. He's still saying it on the last page of the Bible. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. That is grace. You can't work at it. It's grace. It's a gift. It's grace. Look at verse 20. He who testifies to these things says, this is Jesus, surely I am coming soon. And then John writes, Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> I agree. I'm happy about it. Uh, but come, whenever you're ready. We're ready. Come on. Make haste. We're ready. In your good time. Come. And then the whole Bible ends. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all. Amen. Um, I'll close simply by saying that is the point of living, y'all. Lord, what a profound and wonderful gospel, and what um, a vibrant and uh, real um, thing is your word. Who you are is what you say, and what you say is who you are, and we can depend on you, Lord, and, and we pray for the grace to continue to go back to your word, back to your word, back to your word, because it's going to you, and uh, we pray, Lord, that our lives would be um, rattled and... Um, and affected and made joyous over our fellowship with you. We thank you for the living word. We thank you that Jesus is God and that Jesus is victor, and that um, uh, even when the world is so resistant, uh, Jesus is still king. And we pray these things in his name. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Appreciate you.